to enter a nexus of science, violence, and nonsense. Where fake news, pseudoscience, and weaponized stupidity meet full contact fact-checking and peer-reviewed ass-kicking. And as always, no bullshit allowed. Recorded live at Bullshito headquarters in Austin, Texas, this is the Art of Fighting BS podcast. Science is interesting. If you don't agree, you can fuck off. Let's do this. We're here to talk about why DUIs are bullshit. So I'm gonna let you lead with uh, your uh, just opening thoughts on that and your background and that kind of thing. So for people that don't know. Right. Okay. So um, I'm a lawyer. Um, before I was a criminal defense attorney, which is what I'm doing now, I was a prosecutor at one of the third largest agencies in the country where pretty much 90% of my caseload was DUIs. And one of the things that was insane to me was when I switched sides was how much information was kept out, stuff that we didn't know or things that we thought we knew that are just either completely wrong or totally scientifically unsupported. Um, but that's not... Where it, where it even stops. I mean, from the top down, how DUIs came into effect to the way that they're enforced, it's all bullshit. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any doubt based on everything I know about the legal system, which isn't much, but it's probably a little bit more than the average person who gets their information from fucking law and order, SB, SUV, LMNP. So, um, so uh, I guess, yeah, let's go over the history uh, of that, because that's always interesting. It's never never some kind of institutionalized uh, problem that starts that shit. Yeah, so first, I, I think it's important to make clear that driving while impaired is, is not a good idea. It's terrible. It's reckless. If you hurt somebody, you're going to go to prison. If you kill someone, you're definitely going to prison. They're expensive, they're terrible. Do not drive while you are impaired. Nobody in their right mind supports the right of people to drive while they're impaired. Let's just make that very clear before I systematically dismantle everything everybody knows about DUIs. That we're not advocating for people to drive while they're impaired. We're just saying that the system should be better than it is. Yeah. It's sad that we have to do this, but it's, yeah, and that's the state of social media these days that there's always one pile of nuts out there intentionally misunderstand what you're trying to say to them no matter how many caveats and explanations you give how many times you're like disclaimers and no but this is really i don't want you to do this but so what you're saying is go do this right so yeah yeah Um, the best way i could put it is you know i'm against duis this is the way my boss puts it you know we're against duis but there needs to be a fair process which should be pretty non-controversial. Um, yeah. The so the the thing with DUIs is they really I mean people driving drunk really is a problem. Drunk people cannot drive; they're terrible at it. Um, all throughout the '40s, '50s, and '60s, automobile deaths were skyrocketing, partly because of how new automobiles were and how they were able to go faster and have new roads, but in large part because of how many people were drinking and then driving. They didn't have the familiarity with the vehicle to know how bad alcohol would influence them. They go out, they drive, they hurt people, they kill people. It's, it's terrible. 
in the 60s and 70s, Congress got involved by creating the National Highway Tra Traffic Safety Administration, which gets a boatload of federal funds. And what they do with those federal funds is they fund uh, different prosecutorial positions in the states to kind of specialize on DUIs. They fund training for police. Um, they, some of that goes to, uh, I mean, they, they do a lot of other stuff like road testing, but we're focusing on the DUI stuff they do. Yeah. Um, and they give a lot of funding to state and local agencies based on a wide number of factors. One of which is DUI arrests, not even necessarily convictions, but DUI arrests. So the more arrests you have, the more money you're going to get. And you think, okay, well, what does, what does a, a, a beat cop care about the funding for his department? Well, a lot of departments, well, so, so we always hear, hear, oh, quotas exist, and then we hear, no, quotas don't exist, they're unconstitutional, but they, they still exist. They're just called something else. So uh, one city around here calls it like smart stats, another one calls it like active tracking, and it just tracks what an officer does through the day. And the better your stats, the better your raises are at the end of the year, the better your chance of promotion. And something like a DUI, whereas, you know, can have three or four traffic infractions, plus a criminal arrest, plus if there's an open container, another criminal arrest, one arrest looks like five checks in five different boxes. So these cops who, you know, receive some specialized quote, training in how to detect DUIs have all the incentive in the world to make these arrests and absolutely no incentive to get it right. Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the system, perverse incentives is a concept that just runs through our entire fucking social system. Like, like can cancer, I guess. Cancer is a good way of putting it. So, um, <sighs> This is this is new. I'm actually yeah. I, I'm I'm learning this along with the the audience. So this is this is great. Um, I mean it's not great, but it's good to know. Yeah. Well, so how does all of that money and funding go? Well, it goes to these specialty schools that these officers go to. Like things like HGN Instructor School or SFST Instructor School or the Intoxilizer Certification, all these different meaningless qualifications that just puffs up their ego that they're these master DUI scruff McGruff crime dogs. And the science isn't there. Yeah. For example, field sobriety tests. There, there are three field sobriety tests that are considered standardized and validated, which means that they're standardized. So an officer doing these three tests in Maine should be doing it exactly the same way they do it in California. Surprise. It is not standardized. Hmm. You can have different officers at different departments doing the exact, doing completely different ways. And they all swear that they're correct. Then there's a bunch of other field sobriety tests, which aren't quote standardized and validated. And these are basically whatever the officer wants to make up. So, I mean, yeah. th that's the like stand on one hand while reciting the, the national anthem backwards shit. Right. 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 Exactly. Or, you know, touch your, touch your finger to your nose, but not that part of your finger, the other part of your finger, or, you know, close your eyes, tilt your head back, 
put your feet together and then, oh, you're swaying because you're in the most unbalanced position ever. Oh, you're drunk. Yeah. So, so of the, the three that are, quote, standardized, which means that, that every officer in the country performing these tests is supposed, supposed to perform them and instruct them the same way, which objectively does not happen, even though they literally have the instructions printed on the clipboard in front of them. Um, they're validated by non-peer-reviewed studies that have not been repeatable. There's one study in the 80s done by a NHTSA-funded anti-alcohol think tank that, hey, whoa, of course these tests are absolutely amazing. It just doesn't work that way. And And especially when you get confusing and contradictory instructions. But let's talk about what, what is my, my favorite field sobriety test. And it's my favorite for a couple reasons, but it's the, the horizontal gaze nystagmus test. Now, I, I have worked in prosecutorial agencies in three different jurisdictions and two different counties, working on DUIs in various capacities um, on that. And each time I got this, the same spiel about horizontal gaze nystagmus, that it is an absolutely foolproof way to detect if somebody has, you know, a high alcohol concentration. So first we got to understand, what is a nystagmus? A nystagmus is just involuntary jerking of the eye. And there are a thousand things that could cause it. Multivitamins can cause it. Uh, being around car exhaust can cause it. NyQuil can cause it. Alcohol can cause it, to be fair. Um, Or just being tired. Just being tired, right? Because if you think of the anatomy of the eye, and there's doctors listening, don't kill me if I get this wrong, but there are, I believe, four or six muscle groups or muscles that control the eye. You know, one to look up, one to look down, one to look left, one to look right, and then one to look diagonal. So I guess that's six or eight. I'm a couple beers deep and I can't do math. <laughs> yeah, I just heard a, a pop top. So that, that's fine. All right, we'll, we'll edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when muscles fatigue, they twitch. Think about when you're in the gym doing bicep curls because everybody knows the only thing you got to do is bicep curls. And you're getting to that last set and it starts twitching. The muscles in your eye do the same thing, especially if you've been working all day. You go out with some friends, have a drink maybe, and then are leaving around two or three. Your eyes are tired. Yeah. But when they when they do these when they did the validation study, they only validated it on drivers that they pulled over at two in the morning, where you're most likely to have what's called gaze evoked nystagmus. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, it's like it's, it's a, the replication crisis in psychology, except the psychologist can't beat you to death or shoot your dog. So Yeah, exactly. And even if the officers do the test right, which a vast majority of them do not, it's not necessarily indicative of alcohol impairment. And that's, that's the problem, is that it's such a low threshold for, for an officer to pull you over, than an officer to arrest you, or for an officer to suspect you of DUI. And then to have you do field sobriety tests. And then now you're arrested. And now you have to give a blood sample. And now any alcohol in your system, you know, there's, well, I guess that's a good time to talk about the next stage of, of a DUI after the field sobriety test, which 
as a matter of record, you should not ever consent to. You go to the station. Yeah. Um, It's the only thing a field sobriety test will do is give them evidence against you. Like either they have enough to arrest you or they don't. And if they don't, doing field sobriety tests will only give them more evidence to do so. You don't need to clear your name or do super great on these tests to show them you're not, you're not drunk. You're presumed not drunk. You don't have to do their goofy balancing tests and incriminate yourself on these tests that most people do terrible at, even when they're stone cold sober. That's a, that's a good point to, to address because a lot of people, when they get pulled over, they're just like, I'm going to comply, whatever. And just, and if I comply and do whatever crazy shit you have me do, then being innocent, then you're more likely to let, let me go or just, you know, go away. Uh, and is that, or is that not the case? They invoking your rights is not grounds for suspicion. You know, there's this common misconception that if you say no to a search or, you know, you, you ask if, you know, you can go or, you know, you're in any way, anything other than entirely submissive to whatever the police officer wants you to do, that it's going to be suspicious. And then the same, the thing is going to happen to you anyway. Well, no, that's, that's not the case. I mean, if they ask you to search and you say no, and they still search your stuff, either one, it's an illegal search or two, it was going to get searched anyway. Yeah. But it's it's a lot harder to fight that search if you say, yeah, go ahead and look in my trunk with all of the cocaine. Also, <laughs> don't transport your cocaine in a trunk. And also, yeah. don't transport cocaine. Yeah, just stay away from cocaine. I mean, there's just yeah. a lot of caffeine like I do. I, so much caffeine. Yeah, just, just bang energy drink. Um, God, I'm up to three today. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. So, um, um but... I mean, you have to also factor in, though, that if a cop's pulling you over and he has all the in- these incentives to try and get you busted, uh, and if you're going, and a lot of these guys, I mean, there there's some great cops out there, obviously. We, we've had several discussions on uh, law enforcement stuff, and yeah, great cops. Yeah, the, but The vast majority of cops do a great job. Yes, but there are some complete assholes who want, who will take shit personally, who, who think... You know, the, the Eric Cartman's out there that are like that any, any refusal or invoking of your rights will just escalate the situation to them. And you might end up getting tased just by, you know, or, or worse. So, I mean, that, that's not a non-concern, I guess. The other thing is that honestly, people don't like to hear this. It's either out of laziness or malice, but cops copy and paste shit from their reports and they just sometimes seemingly flat out make shit up. I had a case where a, a girl was literally wearing completely white foundation. It was, it, I, I don't know what it was for, but it was, her face was completely like clay white. And the officer said, oh, she has a flush face, bloodshot, watery eyes, and slurred speech. And you watch the video and you're like, wait a minute. One, you, you literally can't even see her face. It's covered under like a pound of makeup. It's like clown There's, paint. Yeah. Uh, and two, I'm looking at her eyes and they're whiter than Ben Affleck. And three, I'm listening to her speak and there's not a fucking slur. So did you just copy and paste this or are you just making shit up? Yeah. And it happens way more often than you think. Or, or, or my favorite is when 
police will remember everything, everything that hurts the client or the defendant, but they forget everything, everything that could help the client. So any, any negative admissions, uh, any, any, uh, anything good that the, that the defendant said or did or any evidence that kind of leans their way, they don't remember it. They don't recall it. Um, they didn't, they just certainly didn't document it. Um, it's, it's just bananas. Um, it's a them versus us mentality, which, you know, so, so, I mean, I guess if you have a so thin blue you, line sticker on your truck, so. <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. Honestly, like when I was a prosecutor, I worked and, and my coworkers worked on a lot of cases of DUIs against cops and almost every single body cam had, come on, man, like just drive me home. And then the cops saying, no, man, we all got to be treated equally. No like, shit. Yeah. So like it, it happens. I mean, they don't get publicized, but I mean, nobody's DUI really gets publicized unless you're famous. Um, but we, so, we need to hear that kind of thing though. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, think that cops just have 100% immunity, not qualified immunity, but immunity, immunity, magical immunity to just do whatever the fuck they want. So that's good to hear. Oh no, no, a lot. Every prosecutor I know has prosecuted a cop for something. Um, a lot, a lot of times it's for things like looking up stuff in a database they're not supposed to be looking up, uh, but often DUIs too. Um, so the, the field sobriety tests are bullshit, but how did we get to the point where you're doing field sobriety tests? Well, that comes down to what happens at our state legislatures, which is fuck shit. No other way to put it. Because police unions and prosecutor lobbies are so much power at the legislatures that they pass these laws. Because all an officer needs to get you pulled over and start the ball rolling on one of these lucrative DUI arrests is reasonable suspicion that you violated a criminal or civil traffic code. So what do they do? They pass more civil and criminal traffic codes. Things like you cannot, you know, your, your tire cannot deviate from your lane or you have to turn into the the innermost lane like things that you know are common sense but probably don't need to be a law especially because you know my favorite is the wide turn because you know whenever you make a turn a right or a left you're supposed to turn into the innermost lane yeah it's something oh oh yeah but honestly honestly i mean personally i do that because that done in your day Yeah, I can't stand people that don't, and they've nearly hit me a few times. Um, But but yeah, I yeah I I can see how nobody nobody pays attention to that shit. Yeah, I I drive like a grandma because of how many just BS laws there are. Like window tint, every cop I know has window tint like limo dark on their windows, and the state limit is thirty three percent. Every single cop I know, but we have a window tint law which gives a reasonable suspicion to pull them over. Or, you know, failing to signal within 100 feet or all of these other kind of trivial technicalities that only exist to make the officer look and say, yeah, I'm going to pull them over. So once they pull them over, they're trained that, you know, the odor of alcohol is akin to being intoxicated. And they always say, no, it's just the, the, they always say it's a possible symptom of impairment. But really, it's not a symptom of impairment at all. It's literally a sign of consumption 
you can be drenched in alcohol. You can smell like booze. You can mouthwash with whiskey and you're going to smell like alcohol, but it is definitely not a sign of consumption or of intoxication. Yeah. So they conflate consumption with intoxication and then proceed to proceed based off the assumption that you're intoxicated. So they put you through those bullshit field sobriety tests that everybody can sense to, even though they really shouldn't. And then they go to the station and at the station, you're either going to get one, uh, predominantly one of two options. Sometimes some jurisdictions will do both, but you're going to either blow into a breath machine or you're going to give blood. And both of these have tremendous problems. And I think as a scientist, you're going to be kind of surprised at just how lackadaisical and poorly, how inaccurate these machines can be. Um, for example, the intoxilizer or the, the breath machine, right? You blow into it and fucking magically discerns what your breath alcohol content is. Yeah. There's enormous, yeah. There's enormous problems with it. One, it's programmed to read. So what it does is it shines a laser through a breath sample. And based off the number of alcohol, alcohol particles that, are, that absorb the laser, it, it magically deduces your, your alcohol content. But yeah, that doesn't the machine... <laughs> it, it, it gets worse. The machines are calibrated for 1.5 liters of air. So the machine assumes that it's 1.5 liters of air in there. And you would think, okay, well, after the machine collects 1.5 liters of air, it would shut off or the subject would stop giving a sample. Right? That would make sense? Yeah. It doesn't. And the police officers are trained to have them blow, 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 blow for as long as the beep goes on. But the thing is, that's really interesting that they don't tell you, is that the beep is only blowing for as long as there is a breath sample being given. So they blow, 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 blow until they're all out of air. They have just filled this machine with who knows how much extra air, which, you know, let's be honest, most people have had a beer or two, and there's going to be some small amount of alcohol in their system. The only issue is if it's over 0.08 or they're impaired. Um, but it can inflate it. It can double it. Sometimes even more. Yeah, especially so if you you're an athlete be, with good lung capacity. So, I mean, you just yeah, naturally breathe or, more. Or if you're an asthmatic. So the way that your body transmit or uh, uh, exchanges alcohol, right, because you breathe it out, um, is in the upper lungs. So people with asthma who can't take a deep breath and can only fill it with the exact area where the alcohol is being exchanged also have a higher rating. People with acid reflux have almost double the rating they sh the reading that that oh, is shit. appropriate for for them. Right? Like who doesn't have acid reflux? It's absolute insanity. Um one one thing that's that's common is is if you're in a crash and the police don't like you, they're going to probably arrest you for DUI. There's a chemical in in uh, seat bags or in uh, airbags that prevents them from sticking to each other. It's called tuolene, I think. T-O-U-L-E-N-E. -E. I'm not okay. a science person. That's why I went to law school. Well, in this machine, tuolene looks exactly like alcohol. So if the <laughs> airbag just went off in your face, 
That's great. It's That's it's it, it's it's a Rube Goldberg machine designed to put you in jail. That that is all it is. Um, the people who use it don't know how it works. We in the defense community don't even know how it works because we can't get access to the source code to see how it makes these assumptions. It's a tremendous due process violation in and of the fact that it's complete junk science. Uh, it reminds me of those uh, bomb detectors some American asshole company sold to the Iraqis back during the war, uh, which is basically a dowsing device. So, and <laughs> like tons of people got blown the fuck up because the, it, uh, of course it didn't work. It was just okay, moving I'm gonna, the shit around yourself. This is a horrible, horrible, uh, horrible thing to say, but. They did kind of work. <laughs> you found the bomb. So not not in time, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That that was a bad one. Nah, that's the kind of humor we have here. Uh, so the the breath machine is total bunk, and we haven't even gotten into partition ratios, uh, which are variable for each person. Uh, we haven't gotten into the like. It, there's there's so much, but it all kind of boils down to either too much breath is getting into the machine, or too concentrated a breath is getting into the machine, or some sort of contamination. For example, if you have acid reflux and you had a beer, got pulled over, taken to the station, you got to give the breath exam, and you have some acid reflux. Well, there's alcohol in that, and when you blow into this machine, it's gonna read the breath alcohol. As no different than the alcohol from your lungs. In fact, there's, there's been studies that show that that elevated body temperature or de-elevated body temperature, that's not the right word, uh, that, that fluctuating body temperatures have, an, have a substantial impact on the reliability of the intoxilizer. You know what they did? Turned off the thermometer. These machines have the capability to read your body, read the, the temperature of the breath going in so that way we could scientifically calculate what it should have been if we disagreed with what the machine says, but they turned it off so we can't. Yeah, see, this, crazy. this whole thing is, is not curing me of my notion that we should just have like a total review of every single thing in the entire domain of knowledge for that exists, any of them, any of them that, that exists and, and just have scientists in charge of everything and just have a complete technocracy. I mean, I, I am, I don't want to, because I know a lot of people think that that's bad for reasons, but uh, yeah, I, I just, oh God. Yeah. This, this sucks. Well, Oh, okay. So like, obviously the machine built by the for-profit company that wants to be bought by the states who want to incentivize DUI arrests, um, obviously we're going to find issues in that. Like that seems kind of like a no brainer, but the lab, the forensic lab where the state does forensics, that should be better, right? I'm guessing you're going to tell us no. No, no, it is not. So, first, gas chromatography um, is something I did not know anything about before I became a, a DUI defense attorney. Um, 
as something I've learned slightly more about than I knew before. But I think Neil, Neil, you know a lot about it, right? Yeah, or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, we, to to an extent. I mean, there, there's there's the, the stuff that you learn in school and you know textbooks, and there's the stuff that you actually use uh, on the the job. You know, doing the, the tests themselves, and mm. it, there's a, there's a gap between those. But yeah, I, I, the basic principles, yes, it, it, immunoassays and all the, the stuff that we use to uh, to do like drugs of abuse testing and that that sort of thing. Yeah. So in theory, the way that it should work is the, the lab tech would take room temperature blood and mix it with, an, with a known amount of room temperature internal standard. It's just uh, most like our state uses something called N-propanol. It reacts very similar to alcohol, but it, it doesn't get read by the machine as alcohol. And they run it through the machine. The machine gets calibrated by various controls where they take the known amount of, of internal standard and mix it with a known quantity of alcohol. So they'll, they'll do an internal control at you know, 0 0.0, 0 0.2, 0.02, 0.04, 0.08, 0.15, 0.20, 0 0.40, and they'll teach the machine what the ratio between the amount of internal standard to the amount of ethanol it reads. And the machine recognizes that ratio as 0 0.2, 0 0.4, like whatever. Does that seem like a pretty simple? Okay. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm familiar with instruments that run like that, yeah. Okay. So after they teach the machine, allegedly, what a 0 0.08 looks like, they then should be mixing a room temperature sample of blood with a room temperature amount of internal standard in a headspace file. They then crimp that vial and they put that in the machine. The machine spins it around and it heats it up to a, a consistent temperature. The reason it does that is because of science. Uh, in a closed atmosphere, the area above a liquid will have a concentration of the volatile chemicals in the lower liquid. And from that concentration, they can read uh, the blood alcohol content. Okay. So... The, it's in the machine, it's spinning, it's getting warmed up, it stops, a syringe goes in and sucks out a small amount of gas from the headspace vial. So the, the area above the liquid is they're sucking out that gas. Now, yeah. if it's not crimped correctly because it's, let's be honest, relatively low paid and inexperienced government lab monkeys uh, doing this, well, that's going to artificially increase the blood temperature or the blood alcohol content. That's going to push out the internal standard and keep the ethanol molecules. It's going to allow a greater number of ethanol molecules to escape or to escape from the blood. Okay. So it sucks out it sucks out the gas from from the vial, and then it puts it through a column. And on the inside of the column are different chemicals, which kind of, the way I like to describe it is they grab onto different components and let go after a certain amount of time, and Based on, and then so you know ethanol will be held onto for you know the x amount of time acetone acetaldehyde they each get held onto or stuck in the column for a known period of time and at the end of the column is a flame the gas hits the flame and it reads how many ions it sparks in an electric plate and yeah. quantifies the spike of of the electrons and from there that's how it quantifies how much of these different volatile substances are in your blood. Okay. 
But there's problems. It is an underpaid government facility, so they don't change out these columns like they should. And that leads to trailing. Because gas chromatography, at least for blood alcohol testing, is a separation science. If you can't separate out volatile chemicals, it's valueless. If everything comes out at the same time, you don't know what it is. The only reason you know what it is is because acetone comes out at 1.1. So if it comes out at 1.1, it must be acetone. But if everything comes out at the same time, there's no separation. It's complete junk. And yeah. as, these, as these columns get worn in, you start getting trailing because the chemicals that hold those volatile chemicals for a certain period of time start breaking down or wearing out or, or what have you. And you start to get trailing. And then you start to get weird bumps. And if you're getting weird bumps where they shouldn't be, how do you know you're not getting weird bumps under the ethanol peak, which would artificially inflate the blood alcohol content? Exactly. And this is post-collection yeah. stuff because they, I mean, when you're collecting, like oh, we're, we're talking about blood samples. Oh, we're working backwards yeah. to the collection. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're, every step of this way is just, just a clown car of errors. Um, so th that's how it should work perfectly. Um, but it doesn't. So what happens in, in you know, the biggest crime lab here that uh, in my jurisdiction is one person will open. The, so actually, I guess we should start with the collection. It makes more sense that way. Um, here in Arizona, we allow police officers to be phlebotomists. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a city, uh, Tucson, where they, they will draw your blood on your trunk on the side of the road. Oh, man. It's, I cannot. It's, wow. It's fucking disgusting. You watch these body, because thankfully most of these agencies have body cams now. You watch these, eight, these, these officers try to draw this blood, and they put on their glove and rip off the middle finger after they've, or rip off the index finger to palpate after they've sanitized. I had one officer who, who kept his glove on, which was impressive, but after he sanitized, he managed to touch his sweaty forehead, scratch his nuts, reached into the trash can before he went and did the blood draw. Yeah. And, the, and what, are, what are they sanitizing with? Um, what, what kind of wipes are, are they using? Because I know there, there's little... Thankfully, they don't, use, they, they don't use alcohol wipes anymore. Okay. Um, yeah, they don't. They use either like povidine iodine wipes or a BZK wipe, which also kind of has issues because BZK is also read very similarly to ethanol in a, in a GC machine. But they, they, the big issue that, that we're getting here is how unsanitary the collection process can be. And they, they use gray top tubes, which Neil's probably pretty familiar with, um, which are, are usually meant for glucose testing. They've got... They're, they're meant for 10 milliliters of blood, and they've got a known amount of sodium fluoride and potassium oxalate in the bottom. That's supposed to preserve it and keep it from clotting. Yeah, we use those for lactic order, acid because it degrades quickly. Yeah. Hmm. That's an excellent point I'm going to get to in a minute, is speed. Well... There's a, there's a couple things that happen. In order for the, the preservatives and the anticoagulant to really be effective, the tube has to be gently inverted 10 times. Most cops don't do that. They just don't. No. So you have, you have tubes that are not properly, um, properly mixed with the preservatives that then 
sit with the officer in their hot car for God knows how long before it goes into the fridge. And then it gets transported from the fridge in a hot car all the way to the crime lab where it sits in another fridge. And then from this fridge, you have one technician come and open the box and take the tubes out and just set it back in, out of the fridge, into the room temperature, uh, air where it's getting nice and warmed up. Then he puts it back in the fridge. Then the person who's going to do the testing will come and just grab the tubes, having not verified the chain of custody before. Oh, and give me a headache. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And he'll put them out on his counter and then start pipetting. And you're thinking, okay, well, I thought it was supposed to be at room temperature, but what does it really matter if, they not, if they're not at room temperature? Well, when liquid is cold, it condenses. When it's more dense, you get more molecules than you would with a room temperature liquid. And in the case of gas chromatography, what you're putting into the headspace vial needs to be a known amount of blood to a known amount of internal standard. And if they mess that up and put more blood, more ethanol is going to ex- exude into the headspace which is then going to get pushed through the gas chromatograph or through the column, hit the flame, and then be read as more ethanol than was actually in the blood. Just because you know these these preservatives, even when they're properly mixed, they don't work, and and they don't work because they weren't intended to preserve it for the times that these that these blood samples sit for. Like Neil, let me ask you: How long at, how long do gray gray top tubes? just sit around between being filled and being tested. Well, I mean, in a laboratory where the entire chain of collection is reasonably competent, uh, a gray top tube arrives to our facility on ice and then gets processed so that there's no degradation of any of the sample. But I mean, we really, we only use gray tops for, uh, for, like I said, lactic acid tests. So uh, we, we do an ETOH test, but that, that comes on a, on a green, and um, we, we just pulled the serum off of it. We don't use whole blood, so it's a completely different system. So uh, everything yeah, you say, serum, you're saying is freaking me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, my dogs were barking. Got a little distracted. Um, <laughs> these tubes will sit for weeks or months. No, weeks we, or months. Mayo Clinic out here guarantees that when they draw your blood in a gray top tube for a glucose test, your blood will be tested in 15 minutes because they are that concerned about the degradation. Well, yeah, especially even glucose. In, yeah, it's bananas that these tubes sit for months and months and months and months. That's, that's not and okay. All we, of that we time, throw out stuff after, I mean, max seven days uh, because it's not viable. It's you can't really use it for anything. Yeah. And, and so the internal standard made by somebody else, the controls that teach or the, the calibrators that teach the machine what the different blood alcohol results are made yep. by somebody else. The controls, which supposedly double check the math and make sure the machine's reading how it's supposed to, made by somebody else. The labs do no independent verification as to the, the veracity or the reliability of these controls. They just accept them as true, 
which may be scientifically proper in some contexts, but when you're talking about people's lives, yeah, I think we need to do a little bit more than trust the sticker on the bottle. That is that is wild. I I mean, it must be really easy to work at a at a state lab where they do this because you, you just don't have to give a fuck. You just have to give a number. I mean, just you could just make it up. Just write four on, on shit, and uh, it, yeah. it doesn't matter. So whatever. So Damn. one thing that I'm not super familiar with, but I'm going to talk on it anyway because I'm a lawyer and can't resist it. Um, <laughs> the the error rate they bake in a twenty percent error rate um on everything and that's supposed to be an error rate that takes into account there a whole bunch of various factors but they don't actually do the math they just assume 20 percent, so they don't have to do the math but other people and when you say they the you mean the, the um the, the, the labs or the the state okay yeah the, the labs the state labs and other defense attorneys and other people have done the math and and quantified the error rate or you know the the risk of contamination from you know keeping the samples for so long for not ensuring that they reach a stable temperature from not checking the controls and calibrators for not properly servicing the machines for all these different factors and they've they've reached uh, uh, confidence rates of you know tw- you know forty fifty percent where you know, this number, it could be what it is, or it could be 40% higher or 40% lower. That's, oh my God. It, who's the, um, who's the, the organization overseeing these laboratories? Cause I know, uh, hospitals go th- under the joint commission. There's also the, um, college of American pathologists for, for like medical laboratories. I just, is there, oh, uh, is oh, it just another state oh. agency? Yeah. The Arizona Department of Public Safety, which hands down gets the most money from NHTSA to combat DUIs. They have all their troopers on the road, specially trained to do DUIs, and that's what they're looking for. Wow. So it's like having the judge and the prosecutor be the same person, in a, in a sense, to draw an analogy. I, I, was, I, was, I was watching a trial the other day uh, of a, for, with a colleague, uh, and the prosecutor asked one of the expert witnesses why Arizona certified the Intox 8000, which is the, the bullshit breath machine we use to convict innocent people. Um, and the witness was able to truthfully answer because the VP of sales for the company that sells the intoxilizer was married to the procurement officer for the Arizona Department of Public Safety. Yeah. That's some third world now, banana republic shit. Now to to be clear, I I have not independently verified that, but I am just repeating what was said under oath by an expert criminalist who has worked for the state for many years. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're none of this is on you, but, you know, fuck. Yeah. And, and again, this isn't to say that police don't catch drunk drivers. I mean, like I'm a DUI attorney. Let's be honest. A lot of my clients were drunk. My past clients, all of my current clients are completely innocent. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, they do, catch, they do catch drunk people. But it's like, it's like a tuna fishing net. You cast out this wide net and you get a bunch of tuna, but you get a lot of dolphins. And while ordinarily I am 100% supportive of tuna fishing because I hate dolphins... <laughs> in this case, the dolphins are innocent people who should not be punished for crimes that they 
probably didn't commit. Yeah, we've got some fans of your analogy in the uh, in the chat. So. Oh, which which one? Uh, a beaker is like, oh my god, that is like the worst analogy ever. <laughs> hey man, fuck dolphins. I don't. E- no, I'm kidding. Uh, but no, it is. It, they cast a wide net and they catch a bunch of innocent people because while their tests do detect drunk people, they also detect a whole bunch of sober people. And when you when you ask these cops, when you interview these cops about their horizontal gaze nystagmus test, they don't know a fucking thing about anything. They don't know the anatomy of the eye. They don't know how many muscles are in it. They don't know what a saccadic movement is. By the way, remember nystagmus is they're looking for jerkiness in the eyes? Well, a saccadic movement is when the muscles of your eyes switch over. So you're looking left to right, and then you're looking up. The, as yeah. the muscles switch over, there's a jerk. This is called a saccadic movement. And no officer I've ever talked to knows what that means. Has no idea that what it is, and they have no idea that they actually induce it by the way they improperly administer their horizontal gaze nystagmus test. Is it the point in the conversation where we bring up the uh, that one uh, court ruling about how they are allowed? So it might be a state level thing, but how they are allowed to discriminate against people who score high on intelligence testing? Uh, no, no idea what you're talking about. Oh, you got to look that up. Yeah, it was a court case. I don't know if it was state or federal, but basically uh, a cop sued because they refused to hire him because he scored too high on the intelligence test. And they thought that that would be a reason why he was likely to question um, procedures and policies. And so he sued and um, they ruled in the favor of the uh, agency discriminating against him because that makes sense. His intelligence. So, I mean, that, ma- that, that makes sense, though, because being intelligent is not a protected class. <laughs> you, you can discriminate all you want against non-protected classes. Like, you could be like, I fucking hate everybody who wears a green shirt. If you've ever wore a green shirt, I will never hire you. That's totally fine. Wow. People who yeah, wear green shirts aren't in a protected class. Or redheads or, you know, I don't know, Irish. But, um, no, wait, that's, that's a protected <laughs> class. But yeah, holy uh, uh, national origin. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, a depressing conversation. It is. And, and that's, that's why, like, literally I drive like a grandma. Because any minor infraction can get you pulled over. And then failing these sobriety. Like, let's say you smoke weed, right? Like, let's be honest. A lot of people smoke weed. Um, nat- like, the, the residual... Uh, metabolites can be in your blood for up to up to 30 days um and i'm talking like like delta 9 active metabolites can be in your system for an incredibly long time but they're obviously not impairing you the thing with thc is the way that that your brain absorbs it is if it's in your blood it's probably not impairing you because it needs to cross the blood brain barrier yeah so like what what you'll see on on blood tests when they in the studies is you know THC is concentration is really high and it's really low and then it's really high again as it kind of starts to move out. But THC is also fat soluble, so if you've got a little extra extra around the middle like I do, um, as you know you start to sweat or do anything to burn off any of those fat cells, they're also going to be releasing nanograms into your blood. Again, it's not enough right. to impair you. Yeah, it's not enough to impair you, but in states 
that have just just zero tolerance like arizona used to be no tolerance if you had metabolites in your blood it didn't matter if you were stone cold sober you were guilty of dui um that changed for pot relatively recently um but you know these can stay in your blood for a long time and you know they get you right because you know they pulled you over for a bullshit reason they put you through their bullshit tests that everybody fails. They arrested you, took you to the station, and oh, the best part, implied consent laws. So by having a license in most states, you have given your consent to a test of your blood, breath, or urine when an officer has developed reasonable suspicion to uh, suspect you of DUI and has arrested you for DUI. And if you don't consent, then your license gets revoked for a year regardless of whether you have nothing in your system or not. You'd be stone cold sober, nothing could come back, but you still lose your, lose your loss. So, so you get to the station and you're, you are going to give a sample. And then that sample, even though you were stone cold sober and had, were not impaired in any, any way, has some metabolites. It could be five, it could be four, it could be three, it could be whatever. But Unless you're just straight up shredded, you know, I mean like... Ropa vieja shit, no no body fat, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to in- inject some levity into this because it is bleak. It's yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's uh, it's real shitty. Um, but that I mean, that's just that's just one example where it's 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 insane. And, and here's the other thing: there's absolutely no correlation between impairment and the level of THC in your blood. There's no correlation. People with 20 nanograms have been stone cold sober. People with two nanograms have just been blitzed. There's no correlation. And those bullshit field sobriety tests that are supposedly standardized and validated have only been standardized and validated for alcohol. And what I always like to say to juries is, uh, you know, one cross-examination is something like, well, Dunkin' Donuts is standardized, right? Like you, you order a Dunkin' Donuts in California, you're going to get the same way that you do in New York, yeah? And then I kind of hit on all the stuff they did that deviated us. It can be brutal. Um, nice. I like that. Because that, that appeals to <laughs> you know, police. So. Yeah, it's a little, little, little joke. Some authority a little there. jokey. Oh, um, I like that. But they're, they're standardized and validated, and I, I say that with the heaviest of air quotes, only for alcohol. But they use them to show that you're impaired by other things. Oh, he did terrible on these. He's impaired by drugs. He did terrible on that. He's impaired by drugs. But there's no correlation, and there's never been any studies that, that quantify or, or validate them for detecting impairment by drugs. Even NHTSA couldn't get these studies, and they will fund anybody who will say whatever they want. Ooh. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm coming to even more of the conclusion that uh, nothing in our society is structured in a evidence-based manner. Like, our entire legal system is just like, fuck it, here's what we think, okay, and... um just goes from there so um obviously one of us has been to law school and it's it's not me so damn um is that a 
addressed at any point? Are there people actually studying this shit and, and making the case for evidence-based criminal laws at, at every oh, level yeah. of the process? And who are they and can we follow them on Twitter? Besides you, obviously. Um, well, a lot of the only ones I'm really quite familiar with are the ones here in Arizona. Um, the Arizona Attorneys for Criminal Justice, they're in the legislature every session fighting for criminal justice reform. Um, but in terms of stakeholders, what really kills criminal justice reform is lack of buy-in from the prosecutors. The prosecutors have so much power at the legislature. They're looked at as such authorities and whatever they say goes, whereas defense attorneys were looked at as, you know, people who are just saying whatever we want because we want to make our lives easier. And, and, and I mean, that's not, that's not the case. You know, everybody in the system should want a more fair and just system, which means the guilty people being convicted fairly and with due process and innocent people being acquitted. Um, nobody is against that. Nobody thinks that every criminal should be walking the streets and Certainly nobody would ever support somebody being drunk and then driving a vehicle. But the process needs to be fair. And where science is involved, it needs to be reliable and repeatable and replicatable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, words. Wow. (laughs) It needs to work same time over and over. Yeah, I I, I know. I, I. That happens to me. I mean, that's that's literally what these these lab techs do is they just pipette all day, all day. And then the machine runs after they leave for the office. And these machines are so sensitive that if the janitor bumps into them, it'll cause an issue. If there's a a power surge like it's 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 I cannot describe how unscientific and like any scientist that was not that did not have a vested interest in just upholding the system would, would shit themselves if they saw how fucking crazy it was. I'm just, I, I'm still stuck on the cop phlebotomist thing because fuck, that's a legitimate skill. And those, those people develop it over years. I mean, the only good ones are the ones that last for like 10 years or more of being massively underpaid, but doing a hugely technical like attention to detail oriented skill to find a vein and, and that's in an ideal setting where, you know, the person's sitting down and they, you know, they've, they've got their arm positioned correctly and it's, it's a nice, comfortable office and they're semi more relaxed and, you know, properly hydrated in a lot of cases because they've been instructed because they're going to get a blood draw. And to do that on the side of the road, when you have only the barest training, I, I, I see a situation, uh, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility where there's a cop that's like missing somebody's veins like five or six times and then haul them into jail for having um, suspicion of heroin used for track marks on their arm because they just <laughs> fucking gave them to him. I mean, it, it's yeah, they, it's absurd. They, they, miss, they miss quite frequently. And what's even worse is they'll get arterial blood. They'll stick it in and, sp- and scrape it around and suck up all the capillary blood, which is arterial blood, or even sometimes even hit an artery. Rare cases, but occasionally, especially when they do back of the hand draws. And they call the right? EMS, I, I guess, if you hit an artery, because it's you're going to know. It's going to go, yeah. That well, is so a- the ones in the, the, 
the ones in the back of the hands can take a little like they they won't really quite spurt out they clot pretty quickly um because they're, they're pretty small arteries but a lot of times cops will do hand draws and they'll get arterial blood and there's been studies that show that arterial blood can have significantly more blood in it, or more alcohol in it than venous blood so they're artificially inflating the blood alcohol content just by being incompetent I'm going to have to double check on the arteries and the hand thing just because it's been forever. I draw my own blood at work, but I just do that for, you know, because we, we do some correlation testing and stuff. And every now and then I have to do some exotic shit with the coagulation studies. And um, so I'll, I'll draw my own blood. But uh, drawing from the hand, you can fuck somebody up. I mean, there's so many little tendons and shit in there. You're always supposed Nerves. to be. Yes. And yeah. obviously the cop isn't going to go, you know, to prison or get you know, sued into the poorhouse over, like, giving somebody a permanent disability in their, their right or left hand. So, oh, God, this gets worse and worse the more I find out about it. Yeah, and we haven't even gotten into uh, DREs or drug recognition experts. That's a whole nother level of pseudoscience and racism that... Literally, I don't have time to get into today. I was going to see if we had any questions, and then yeah, let's put it out to to the to the crew and and kind of wrap up the, the live part. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, hell, uh, Beaker was actually wanting to get into the DRE thing, right? And he had a question about racing. Let's let's save that for another uh, episode because we're we're going a little bit long already, and you know people sort of like zone out after an hour. So I think that's our our audience's uh, maximum attention span given the blows to the head we've all taken so um yeah, yeah i mean all of 